I am going to be uh, preaching these next three Sundays, and we're going to start out in Second Peter, and I say start out kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit because we're going to finish Second Peter, but we're going to start a new series, and we're going to use the end of Second Peter uh, to dive into this uh, series of what I'm calling uh, the Kingdom of God. And uh, I am just so excited to be able to share this with you. Um, this is something that God has been uh, teaching me about over the last several months. And my small, our, our small group has gotten a lot of, uh, a lot of um, uh, education in this, I guess. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But we've, uh, we've had a lot of fun diving into this. And so I'm going to uh, take the next three Sundays to kind of share what we've been learning. And also uh, use the, well, the scripture is going to teach us what it has to say about the coming kingdom of God. And really what uh, the Lord has to say about heaven. So I'm really excited about uh, what we're going to learn today. Um, so I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of Second Peter. We're going to be uh, starting there today. But uh, we're going to be moving uh, around in scripture quite a bit. Uh, because there's a lot of references that I want to show you. Uh, from what God is uh, teaching us in his word. And what he has revealed to us. So, um, so we'll be in Second Peter chapter 3. And we'll start with verse, uh, we'll actually start with verse 10. But before I get there, I just want to help us rem- remember the types of, the things that Greg had uh, taught us last week when we started uh, chapter 3 in Second Peter here. So last week we looked at the first nine verses uh, of chapter 3 and we learned about the scoffers who will come challenging the belief that Christ is coming again. Remember they, uh, in verse 4, uh, Peter says that they will say, where is the promise of his coming? And they say, you know, things have continued on ever since the beginning. You know, there's no, there, there's nothing changing. Nothing is new. There's, where, where is the promise of his coming? And they challenge us. They tempt us to believe that God will not fulfill his promises because he's taking too long. Or it feels like he's taking too long. Uh, from our point of view, anyway. And then Peter then reminds us, of course, to focus more on the patience of God rather than on his slowness. Because if we take a look at it from God's perspective, he's having to wait a long time to fulfill what he wants to fulfill. But he's waiting. And what's he doing during that time frame? Peter talks about how he is, uh, he is building up his church. He says, the Lord, in verse 9 there, this is how Greg ended, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So think about it. Aren't you glad for your sake that God hasn't returned yet? To some degree. Think about this just for a moment. That God hasn't returned yet and has given you an opportunity to reach repentance. He's expressed significant patience. And he gives us an opportunity to receive his mercy and his forgiveness. The Lord Jesus Christ told Peter, if you remember back in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18, that he will build his church. Christ will build his church, and that's what he's doing right now. And Peter's point is just that here. God is building his church, allowing uh, everyone a chance to reach repentance. If you are a believer here today, God is exercising his patience to return. Or God's exercising his patience to return means that his timing has allowed for you to reach repentance and become a member of his church. Aren't you glad? Isn't that amazing? Those of you that have come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior are now part of his church and will live 
and the kingdom of God forever. We're going to talk about that today. Okay, so today we're going to continue our study of 2 Peter, right off where we left last week. And I love Peter's transition here in verse 10. So let's get right down to it. Um, this, what he's going to show us is, it, it, what, he's, what he shows us here is it reveals the heart of the scoffers that we talked about last week and also reveals what should be true about our hearts as believers. So let's see what Peter has to say here, starting in verse 10. And I'll have it on the screen here for you to read with me. Um, but uh, I, will, I will read it, and I'm not asking you to, to read it aloud with me. Just read along with me as I, as I read. So Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, so we're going to stop right there for today, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, pick up the last portion of Second Peter chapter 3 uh, a couple of weeks from now. We're actually going to take three weeks to cover these last uh, several verses here. So what Peter just laid out here in verses 10 through 13 is pretty hot and heavy, wouldn't you say? Oh, come on, I was hoping for a little bit more <laughs> laughter. <laughs> so, yes, uh, there's a lot going on here that Peter's talking about. And I'm not going to dive into every bit of it today. Uh, I'm going to highlight a few things and then really kneel down into some things that he's pulling out here in the last couple of verses. First of all, I want to bring up this, uh, this phrase that uh, he refers to here in the very beginning, the day of the Lord. Now, last week, Greg alluded to that uh, with, this, with verse 4 where they said, where the scoffers were challenging you know, the promise of Christ's coming. Well, that day of the Lord that Peter is referring to there uh, in verse 10 is actually a reference to Christ's second coming, the return of Christ on the earth. So Isaiah 13 actually points to it, and this is a reference that Peter is making here back in Isaiah chapter 13. If I can pull it up here. Isaiah 13 verse 9 says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Now catch what it says after this. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. And then he goes on there. I'll let you read that on your own time, the rest of there. But I want to Pull then to Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus takes this prophecy and continues. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, and just listen to this. I'm not asking you to turn there, but just listen closely. Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Sounds like Isaiah 13, what we just read, right? The, day, the, the days of the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. 
And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So here we see in Second Peter this reference to the day of the Lord as a reference to a time of divine judgment that God is going to take on the earth, on the sinners of the earth, on the evil, and show his wrath. But he's going to do it at the same time that he returns. Jesus is coming again. And that's what Jesus is referring to here in Matthew 24. So we've got this day of the Lord when Jesus will come back to conquer the earth. And the other phrase that I think is just so ironic, if you consider the, last, uh, the first few verses of 2 Peter chapter 3, is that this day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now think of the heart of those scoffers that were challenging the, the, the idea that he would come again. They were, they were, the, the mindset was that he's slow, he's not coming, he's, it's taking forever. But then when he finally does come to those people, when he finally does come, they're going to look at him and go, why are you here? It's not, it's not time. Or, I mean, how would you respond to a thief coming into your house? Get out. What are you doing here? This is my territory. But to those who are challenging his coming, that's how, it will, that's how it will be. That's how they will receive it. And to us, Peter, Peter makes the claim, and this is what I want our focus to be on today. Peter makes the claim that we as believers are waiting and hastening the coming day of God. And according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see the difference? You have the scoffers who think that Christ's coming is going to feel like a thief. And you have believers who are expected to be waiting for the day of God, the coming day of God, and waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. So I want to read those verses one more time, these verses 11 through 13. This is Peter's, what I call Peter's remarkable claim. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. Now he's talking about the death of the universe. That's what he just mentioned there uh, in verse uh, 10. right? And all the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. It's the, that is, in summary, the death of the universe. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And again, he's speaking to believers here. He goes on to say, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, like I said, I think this is a pretty remarkable claim for Peter to make. The phrase waiting for that he uses there is synonymous with looking for, and that might be what, how your translations read, and if you're not reading the ESV, which is what I'm reading today, you're with, uh, it's synonymous with looking for or looking forward to or even longing, yearning, desiring, craving. How many of us are truly looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth? Is this our desire and is this desire on our minds consciously, even daily? 
Randy Alcorn, the author of the book Heaven, which I highly recommend if you have a chance to read it, asks the question, in your idle moments, when your mind gravitates to whatever excites and interests you most, what do you think about? Likely, we look forward to many other things other than the new heavens and the new earth. We might be tempted to think that heaven is boring, unearthly, or unknowable. If you believe that today, you know who you are. We might be te- think about that. We might be tempted to think that heaven is boring, unearthly, or unknowable. And for believers, if this is true, it's probably because we haven't fully wrapped our minds around what heaven will be like and what this coming new heaven and new earth will be. We're thinking inaccurately about heaven, and it causes us to choose to think so little about heaven or even causes us to have concerns about heaven. Think about that. It causes us to have concerns about heaven. We might have questions. Do I really want to be there? Now, we know that if we have any concern, or we should know, that if we have any concern about heaven, those concerns are really lies. Right? Now, what is the source of lies? What is the source of all lying? The devil, Satan. John 8.44, Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies and was a murderer from the beginning. I want to make this more clear to you in exactly what Satan lies about. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 13, just for a brief moment. Revelation chapter 13. This uh, chapter introduces a, uh, a satanic beast, so one who embodies Satan, one who uh, is, is very much like him. And we're going to see uh, in, in verse 6 here the lies of the beast. So in starting with verse 6, talking about this satanic beast uh, that appears, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Now let's notice there three things that this satanic beast is lying about. These blasphemies, okay? There are three things that we can identify here. First, not surprising, but first is the person of God, his name, right? Blaspheming God. In his name. The second thing that he focuses on lying about is the place of God, his dwelling, where God lives. And then finally, the people of God. So we see three things here that Satan loves to lie about. And one of his favorite things is the dwelling place of God, where God lives. Ultimately, the kingdom of God. If we can become convinced that the future that awaits us is boring or unearthly or unknowable, what impact does that have 
or what motivation does that have for us on our lives for that future? How can it affect how or whether we share our faith? So, right now, I want you to get a little bit angry with the lies that you've been believing that Satan has been giving us about the dwelling place of God. Can you get a little bit angry with me? It's affecting how we share our faith, not knowing what's coming. The Bible is dripping with what heaven is going to be. Don't tell me that you can't know what, the, what, what heaven says, or I'm sorry, what the Bible says about heaven. The Bible is chock full of details about heaven, and we are going to talk about that today in the next two weeks. Okay? My hope is that you'll see what is in the Bible about heaven so that you can be excited about it. And it's the thing that you think about all the time. Not the next car you're going to buy or the next vacation you're going to take. But heaven! The kingdom of God. Okay? Are you with me? Okay, let's do it. So, uh, the, the, like I said, the Bible has so much to say about heaven. More than you can probably even realize. Okay? And I'm not going to have time over the next three weeks unless Greg gives me the next year, uh, to, <laughs> which I'm not taking, uh, to, <laughs> to go through the entire Bible. And I was, I was teasing Jess actually earlier today, uh, yesterday. I was like, gosh, I'm, 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 I, I just want to take the whole Bible and preach on the whole Bible in one day. And she's like, you can't do that. They're going to kill you for that. So I'd be like, I don't care. I'm with, I'll be with Jesus at that point. It's fine. So, but, uh, so I'm gonna, we're going to uh, show you a couple of things here in Scripture that, that helps reveal to us, the truth of heaven and God's dwelling place, the kingdom. Okay, so with the remaining time that we have today and over the next two weeks, we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about heaven. And yes, that includes a discussion of the new heavens and the new earth that, that Peter wrote about in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. All right, and we'll be going back to, to there um, here every once in a while, um, if I can even find it myself. We're going to see over the next, over the coming weeks that um, uh, we're going to, well, yeah, we're going to see over the next coming weeks what the Bible has to say about this, about this new earth. And as I told you earlier, I titled this series of messages the kingdom of God because heaven is just that. Heaven is where God dwells. And where God dwells is, is in his kingdom. So we're going to learn about the kingdom of God. We're going to learn that God's kingdom is going to be established forever. That last song that we just sang is so beautiful and so perfect. I even imagine that we will be singing that song in heaven after all of what we're going to talk about today is said and done. Because that song is eternal. Because of the references that it makes and the things that it's pointing out and drawing out. It will be a perfect song to sing even after the world, uh, the, the, the death of the world and the resurrection of the, of the church and the life eternal and us living together forever in the new earth and the new heavens. That song is perfect for that time. And we will probably be singing that song along with several others that have been written over the years 
And there may be songs that we haven't sung yet that were sung years and years and years ago or will be sung in the future that we'll still sing at that time. But that is one song. If you just think about it and listen to those words, we'll be singing that, I guarantee it, in heaven. There are so many references throughout Scripture about God's kingdom being established forever. Okay, and, and what I want to encourage you to do, and the point of some of this, uh, the messages that I'll be sharing with you over the next three weeks, this, this week and the next two weeks, is that when, you, when you're reading about, in, in the Word, when you're reading about how God's kingdom will be established, or the throne of God will be established forever, don't think of it as some, oh yeah, that's a, that's a, good, uh, that's a good thing, yeah, that makes sense. No, it's legitimately, literally, forever. The throne will be established forever. You've got to get your minds on that. It is literally forever. Okay? Let's read a few verses here. These are just a few. There are several. But anytime you see the word forever, it's literally forever. And if you don't remember anything, remember that uh, today. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Psalm chapter 145, verse 13. Actually, all of Psalm 145 is amazing, but I pulled out one verse here. Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And then Luke 1.33, speaking of Jesus here, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It will never end. All right, so let's make this a little bit more um, physical because that's what this is. We're talking about a kingdom, a real, legitimate kingdom of God. So let's make this even a little bit more real, okay? We're going to talk about where is the kingdom of God? When is it going to be established? And then we'll, uh, I'll mention some things later that we're going to, I'll actually use as kind of a cliffhanger to get us into the next uh, message. So first off, we're going to talk about, well, okay, this is great. We're learning about this kingdom that's going to last forever, but where is it going to be? Or, or where is it? Okay. Well, as we're going to find out, the Bible teaches that its final location, this kingdom of God, is on earth. And it's on the new earth that Peter refers to in Second uh, Peter chapter 3. And what Peter is referring to here is a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 65. I have the reference uh, shown for you there, but um, I can read it for you here this morning. Uh, this is starting with verse 17. Isaiah says, and this is actually God speaking, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, 
I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And then John, the Apostle John, builds upon this in his prophecy in Revelation, found in chapter 21. Starting with verse 1, John says, again, this is Revelation 21, starting with verse 1. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And that sounds familiar. That sounds like what Peter had just talked about uh, in chapter 3 there, Second Peter chapter 3. And the sea was no more. That sounds about right, because if fire consumes, it's going to take up the sea. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her, for her husband. So recall back to Isaiah. Isaiah talks about this city of Jerusalem, where God is going to live in Jerusalem. And then here, in, ver- in chapter 21 in Revelation, we, talk about, we see John talking about this holy city, a new Jerusalem. And then verse 3 continues on. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now, interesting, it doesn't say the, the dwelling place of man is with God. It says the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5 says, And he who was seated on the throne, and we know that to be none other than King Jesus, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. Remember that for next week. I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this, heri- will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. And then later on, in verses 15 through 16, we actually get a little bit more details into this coming city, this kingdom of God. Starting with verse 15, John says, And the one who spoke to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. Okay, so this could be just a symbolic reference. But if it's not, okay, because there's always that case too. If it's not, 12,000 stadia, if you think about it, if you translate that to miles, is 1,400 miles. Now what John is recording here is the size of this kingdom This new Jerusalem, this city that's coming down from heaven is 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and 1,400 miles tall. To put that in perspective, 
we're talking about from the Appalachian Mountains in the United States, the Appalachian Mountains to the coast of California, from the uh, from the um, uh, the uh, the line between uh, well, where the United States meets Canada, right there, or uh, where the line there is, down to the bottom of Texas, where it meets Mexico. That's how big this city is. If this is a legitimate or a literal way to interpret that. Now, I don't think that's far-fetched because it's God building the city, right? God building the kingdom. So there might be more than just a symbol there. And then it's another 1,400 miles high. The perfect cube. To me, that is pretty incredible. Just to think about that from a physical... It's, it's, a, it's going to be a physical place. It's going to be physically on the earth. And it will be established on this new earth. Now, the next question is that I mentioned I was going to try to answer here is, when will this, will, when will this kingdom be established? When will it finally... When will God finally conquer the earth and finally place his kingdom here? And the answer is at the coming of the day of the Lord. So this ties back into where we actually started in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter reveals that this will begin and this will usher in at the, at the coming of the day of the Lord when Christ returns to earth to claim what is rightfully his. But at the day of the Lord, or but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. As we see the promise of Christ's coming, the death, and then later the resurrection of the universe, which we're going to talk about a little bit next week, and the establishment of the kingdom of God are all inextricably linked. That's what Peter is pulling out here. We cannot have one without the other. If you can believe in the promise of his coming, but have a hard time believing in the promise of the new heavens and the new earth, it's almost as if you're kind of like the scoffers earlier, struggling to believe in the promises. It's the promises that Peter is mentioning here. These are promises that God has given us. And when God promises something, what can we know about it? It's going to happen. We need to believe in those promises that God gives us. The challenge here is to be just excited and longing for the new heavens and the new earth as we are for Christ's return to the earth. If we can believe the promise that Christ is coming again, but struggle to believe and long for the new heavens and the new earth, then we, like I said earlier, we might as well just be like uh, the scoffers, because for the believer, this is all or nothing. When Jesus comes, this is all going to take place. And these new heavens and new earth is going to be here. Okay, so some of you uh, may be thinking, okay, th- this is great, but the reality is I'm probably going to end up dying before this uh, takes place, this day of the Lord takes place. All right, so well, what happens then? How does this, how does this play out? 
So I'm going to talk about a little bit of this with the time that we have left and then lead into next week. What happens when we die? Because the truth of the matter is there's going to be more people that are dead when the day of the Lord comes than there are going to be alive, right? I mean, there's been a lot of people that have died (laughs) over the years. And so the likelihood is that we will die before the day of the Lord. Now, I don't know. We could happen in our lifetime. But we need to talk about what happens when we die. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, that to be, pres- or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he reveals even uh, some more about our heavenly dwelling and, and what we should be looking forward to. But, um, and so starting with verse 6 in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And he goes on in verse 8, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so what that teaches us is that as believers, when we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. Okay, but what does that really mean? Does this mean that we end up in some spiritual, ethereal realm uh, where time stands still and I'm a floating spirit just kind of strumming a harp without a body? Let's take a look at a few more hints from Scripture that will set us up for next week's message. Okay? Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 39. This is the scene, right? Remember back, this is the scene where Jesus has been crucified. And he's on the cross, doing the very work that had to be done in order for all of these promises that we are talking about today to be fulfilled. He had to be there. Okay, so Luke 23, verse 39 says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed justly, For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And verse 42, then this criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He got it. He knew Jesus was going to his kingdom. And then verse 43, Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. So we notice that Jesus didn't rebuke him for saying that, rebuke the criminal for saying that he's going to be in his kingdom because that's where he's going. He's going to his kingdom. But Jesus also refers to this place as paradise. Now the word there that's used, that Greek word that's used there for paradise is synonymous with a, with a Hebrew word that is used in the uh, 
that is used earlier in Genesis chapter 2. This term paradise refers to literally a garden or an orchard or even Eden. Genesis chapter 2 says, starting with verse 8, I'm going to, I didn't have it. Yes, I do. I have it written down. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. What I'm pulling out here to show you is that it's a place. Where they were going, this place of this paradise, is a garden. A garden, well, think about it. What does a garden have? Probably flowers, trees. I mentioned orchard earlier. So there's probably fruit there. There might even be a breeze. What I'm trying to help you realize is that it's a physical place where they're going. Let me this, uh, pull this out just a little bit more. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Revelation chapter 6. We get another, another glimpse of people in heaven and what it looks like. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. Oh, I didn't have that on the screen. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 says this. When he opened the fifth seal, so this is the, these are the seven seals judgment uh, we read about in uh, Revelation chapter 6. And I'm skipping ahead to verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Okay, so there's a lot that we can pull out from here if you just analyze those few verses of what heaven is going to be like just from a perspective of a person. Okay, first off, I want to show you this Greek word for soul that's used here is suke. Okay? The pronunciation is not important, just the, verb, the word itself, suke. This word does not normally mean a disembodied spirit. Rather, it is typically used to describe a whole person who has both body and spirit, or it's even used of animals, which are still physical beings. Now, according to the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, suke does not carry with it any clear distinction between a non-corporeal and a corporeal state, so meaning a non-bodily or a bodily state. The reference is not to a part of man that has survived death, but to the total existence of man. And then we see other things that reveal that there's more than just a spirit-like thing that, that we are as people there. This is in heaven. They said that they, it says that they cried out with a loud voice. So they're able to speak. There's probably a medium that allows uh, uh, 
audio waves to transfer so you can hear things. Right? They're speaking. And not just that, they're speaking in unison. So there's unity in heaven. Everyone is of the same mind. You see that? They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. They know who God is. Holy and true. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? There's a lot that's even just in that verse. One, you get the passage of time. How long? They're experiencing the passage of time. They're crying out for God to avenge them and the people on earth who are suffering because of the sinners that are, uh, and the reason why they are even dead. So they're crying out, asking God, how long? They're going to learn something. They still don't know everything. So they're learning about, how, well, how long is this going to take? Or, God, when are you going to do this? They're asking for more information. So you have the passage of time. They're still waiting for this coming day of the Lord here in this place. Also, the fact that they were martyred has not been left on earth. It continued with them to heaven. So their history stayed with them. Their, uh, their character stayed with them. They are the same people they were when they, before they had died. There's that element of continuity. That's going to be important. Because there's sometimes in the Bible, even, that, even in the passage that I read in Isaiah earlier, where it says the, things, the former things will pass away and be forgotten. Some people view that as, is my history going to be forgotten? Am I going to forget who I am? These people knew who exactly who they were and where they had come from. And they also know what's going on on earth. They're still aware of the problem that's at hand. How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were given a white robe. Presumably, you can't wear clothing if you're just a spirit floating around. Right? They were given a white robe to wear and were told to rest even a little longer. So we get a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like, even from the perspective of ourselves. Now next week, we're going to address what the kingdom of God, what will life be like in the kingdom of God. I don't know, do I need to go back to chapter 6? <laughs> so, <laughs> I can read it again if you want. Um, we're going to go back and look at this, the place that we're going to be living, what it's going to be like. What will life in this kingdom be like? What will life in heaven be like? And then what will life be like on the new earth? And the new heavens and the new earth. And the goal over the next two weeks is to help you as believers to paint a clear picture of what life looks like after we die. Or what looks like life looks like in the future. I also want to help you shave, shape, shave, wow. I want to help you shape or even change your vocabulary. Have a change of thinking, okay? So think about this. We use the term afterlife to talk about the life that's coming. 
But what's the connotation there? The connotation is that it's a, it's a life after well, my life, my real life. Right? Uh-uh. This is the before life. We're going to life. We are going to life. The only life that we know is a life under the curse, under sin. And that's the next thing. This series, I'm hoping and praying that it may increase our understanding of and increase our hatred of sin. Because you're going to see just how much it impacts our life. Because Jesus talks about how the curse is going to be removed. We don't even realize half the time how much the curse is impacting our life. Because we're so used to it. My hope is to help you get a little itchy. And to realize just how much we need to be hating sin. And then also, my, the last sermon that we're going to do, uh, week three, is to help you as believers better understand your purpose in life now. Because right now counts forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just uh, I thank you for um, this opportunity that we have today to, to dive into your word and to, uh, to learn more about um, just the, the exciting things that are coming for us as believers. Father, we, we know that we do not deserve the things that are coming. What we deserve is to be destroyed because we're sinners. But we're in sinners in need of, of you, our Savior, our King. And Father, we're so thankful that you sent your Son to die for us. To save us from sin so that we would have an opportunity to be able to share in this life and to share in your reign of your kingdom that's coming. Father, how exciting it is to know that there is a kingdom coming and that you are our king. And that one day we will be with you forever. Forever. And it's not going to be boring. And it's not going to be unearthly. We're going to see you the next two weeks. Father, I pray that you would give us an opportunity over the next two weeks to see what your word has to tell us about the coming heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. Father, I pray for the health and safety of the people that are here today. I pray that you would bring them back next week um, according to your will. If not, we'll know where they are if they're believers and we'll just be talking about where they are. Um, but uh, Father, I just pray that you would uh, just give us an opportunity to come back to your, uh, your house to, uh, next week to learn more about what you have to say and uh, just give us health and safety and be with those who are not with us today, those who are traveling, those who are um, not feeling well enough to be here be here or whatever the reason, uh, just um, wrap your arms around them so that they will be comforted and know that you are near and that we are thinking of them. Father, we love you and we praise you for all that you do. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.